So welcome to the Liquid Studio Show. Thank you once again for joining us. In this episode, we're joined by Harrison Ward. Good morning, Harrison. Good morning, how are you? Very well, thank you. Also known as the Fell Foodie. Um, so yeah, thanks for coming along. We are really keen to get an understanding what you're up to now, mm-hmm. but also go right back to the beginning. And uh, happy to share your story with us. Colin, do you want to dive in? <laughs> sure. Okay. Harrison, good to meet you. And you, sir. Yes, thanks for coming along. So um, I, I know little bits, um, and because obviously we need to do a bit of research to find out about our guests. Um, and it's quite an interesting story and, and um, bits from the lots of drinking, the smoking, turning to, to walking at Fells. How did the journey start for you? I mean, where does it really begin? I mean, th- there are bits in there. I'll let you speak in a minute. <laughs> there, there are bits in there that sort of intrigue me, you know, being very small, being bitten on the nuts by a, a beetle to becoming a Hull FC support. I mean, there's some really interesting stuff going on there. But you, you, you tell your story. Where, where does it start? Well, you've cleared any research, I can see, from that point of view. But it's, uh, yeah. I guess for me, it goes right back to sort of childhood, really. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. brought up quite close to this area, sort of just outside Carlisle, yeah. um, on sort of the doorstep of the Lake District. But obviously, these days, I'm quite known for being out in the hills all the time, being yes. quite outdoorsy, embracing that sort of lifestyle. But really, it was one that, although I was quite sort of out in the sticks in the woods and little bits around me, growing up rurally, didn't really embrace what was on my doorstep for quite a while, I think. Okay. So... I suppose always back in those days, again, there was nothing really too unusual, I guess, quite a normal normal childhood there. So okay. my parents were, were divorced, but happy sort of childhood, um, plenty of friends at school, good sort of living really, no sort of yeah. um, real bits to complain about there. But okay. it was really, I think, at a point during maybe heading into sort of secondary school, into puberty, around sort of 13, 14, that yeah. I just found my life really sort of changing quite quite dramatically sort of overnight. And it was... It was all internal. It was something sort of in my head, a switch. I don't know if it was a major change you're going through sort of with the hormonal changes or major change in, in sort of the um, the route you're taking in life as well. But I'd gone from this quite carefree, sort of happy-go-lucky child who was yeah. always quite sort of extrovert and various bits and always with a smile on his face, really, to this character that internally was now battling these negative thoughts all the time, quite self-loathing, quite self-destructive. Mm-hmm. So no particular trigger that you can identify for that, Harrison, just sort of more of a gradual. Yeah, not that I can come up with him. Again, it's always the sort of thing, I guess, maybe therapy sort of angles, don't they always look and go, what happened there? Was yeah, there a particular yeah, moment? Did someone walk out or this go on? Or yeah. someone had passed away? For me, I think very much it's more of a chemical sort of change. I think going through that switch there, it was almost like there was something that didn't quite correlate again mm. after sort of the switch when you're going through this major change. And it's been something I've lived with really ever since. And still now, it's something that I think is quite important to say. It's just something I've cured sort of thing with these, these elements. I just learned to manage it a lot better with what I've done this day and age and learn sort of how, I guess, um, to not control, but I suppose um, behave and, and mitigate maybe the symptoms I perhaps, um, I perhaps live with. And it was something that going forward from that, it, I didn't really reveal it to anyone. It wasn't something I spoke to, to family about, to friends. But internally, I was really self-critical, so self-loathing. I, I, was, I was very, um, I suppose, almost body dysmorphic in terms of how I was looking at myself, just constantly, constantly putting myself down to the point that I knew I wouldn't be able to do certain things. And But I put this mask on all the time each day. I sort of played that sort of character. I played that sort of role in there. Academically, we're still doing fine. Friends and stuff kept the relationships going. But I'd almost go back home into my own sort of four walls at the end of the night, go to bed, and my mind would be running at night, sort of very overactive mind, and just really not knowing what I was going through. And I suppose at the time as well, there wasn't too much out there. I mean, the internet was sort of in its infancy. 
There wasn't sort of the social media type bits there. There wasn't someone going out talking about these issues online. No. Yeah. Role models to compare to. Again, it was all your action heroes on television sort of thing. You know, big, strong, that's it. Men, man up, carry on. So I, I didn't really know what was going on and felt that it was just me completely alone going through these issues and just really felt that the only, the only thing I could do was really carry on. I suppose at that time. So again, yeah. didn't really reveal anything at the moment, but okay. well, this is what I now know to be really the start of what became my battle got with sort of clinical depression. I mean, after school, obviously, you succeeded and got a place at university somewhere. Yeah, so I moved away to York, York. Um, for university for that. So again, yeah. along this time, I was, I was working during my studies as well. So I worked in hospitality trade yes. at quite a young age. Right, yes. Um, behind the scenes, I guess, I was more pot washing to waiting on into then behind the bar, sort of 18. And this was really where I suppose I was introduced to the world world of alcohol yeah. at this time. Again, 18, quite a rite of passage, quite a culture in this country too. Of course. It's always that sort of transition phase where yeah, I'm yeah. maybe sneaking a few IDs into town beforehand and yeah. you know, I'm getting into getting someone's older brother sort of out there to go into town. But once I was 18, it opened that environment where I was behind the bar now, yeah. meeting people from very different walks of life that I perhaps wouldn't have come across previously, but also discovering this new sort of lifestyle. And yeah. it's one that quite quickly I enjoyed. I enjoyed the social, I enjoyed that aspect. I was always that quite extrovert character, okay. really at its heart, but yeah. I was just battling sort of my own head, almost this doppelganger in a way. And the alcohol at first, I guess, again, maybe a bit of peer pressure, that sort of way, that bravado kind of thing, especially as a bloke, quite a big set bloke as well, yeah. being known to sort of be able to handle his beer, various cool. bits was something that comes um, with that. But for me as well, I think the sensation I was getting from alcohol then, it was almost allowing me to sort of forget what I was going through internally yeah. it was shutting that off yeah and almost taking me back to those carefree childhood days in a way yeah so at the very start of course there was zero tolerance i'd just come straight into the job i was never someone down the bike bike park sort of with a bottle of frosty jacks or whatever sort of hiding behind the <laughs> yeah, uh, not quite that i wasn't quite that level <laughs> at all i was always probably too good a too good a kid really but it was um that sort of sensation i think was something that became um something i wanted more of and i suppose tolerance began to build yeah. with that chasing more of that high chasing more of that drink as i was going through that period um, into university so okay. I went a year late to university in the end I did an extra year of sort of studying and um, not really knowing what direction I wanted to go in I guess again a bit like most bits still not really knowing to this day perhaps but um, <laughs> <laughs> but ended up getting a place in university in York and uh, moving there quite suddenly and um, it, it was fantastic I mean great to be out there in that sort of environment loved being sort of um, starting afresh I guess being away from home basically you know that life experience you gain of meeting new people in a different area yeah. But again, there's a big association with, you know, first year students and socials and heavy mm -hmm. drinking. It's just part of that sort of lifestyle, isn't it? Which probably was not ideal for you at the time. No, exactly. Once again, straight back into that sort of culture, yeah. that, sort of, that, that, that passage that we sort of go on. And so that first week, the old freshers week, there you are. How do you meet everyone? Sort of Dutch courage, social lubricants. Of course. We all go down the student union, we get sort of bladded. So, yeah. but again, I was a year old already at this point, And I've always been, I guess, maybe probably an older head amongst the, amongst the crowd anyway. So I think at that point I was maybe seen as I was a heavier drinker already. I could handle my drink. There was all these people maybe coming out for the first time. Again, I remember the first day in the student union walking in and seeing everyone queuing in a line at the bar. And I just sort of walked in coming. Remember my first time in the pub, you know, straight to the bar, just watching <laughs> a drink. And, but I think that sort of creeped in more, that queuing, that queuing element now. But it's, um, for me, I guess I was, I was drinking quite, quite heavily already at that point. I was probably going out most nights of the week. Right. I was already drinking sort of maybe sort of a good eight, ten pints on a session there going out. So that sort of that time was becoming known as someone who could handle the drink and put it away. Yeah. But moving away to York, things really began, I think, to turn um, for the worse. I found myself back in the hospitality trade that I was familiar with. Because right. again, I wasn't um, someone that could really afford to go to uni and not work. So yeah. um, single sort of single mother sort of um, 
background various bits. I found work again to sustain my studies, yeah. but found that was also sustaining me on my other lifestyles going out, which I enjoyed. Yeah. That medicinal aspect, I suppose, that alcohol was providing me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it really began to sort of snowball from there, I guess, to the point that um, chasing that tolerance, chasing that high, again, I was maybe getting a better drinker, if, if you would use those terms, you know, putting my practice in, for example. And um, by sort of around sort of 20, I, I was regularly consuming sort of in excess of 20 pints um, on a day, daily basis. I, I'd taken up smoking at this point. Again, I never touched a cigarette before those days. And my weight as well, I ballooned. Yeah. I put about sort of a six stone on. I was about 22 stone I was um, at this point. So... And my studies began to fall by the wayside as I was just battling my head each day, really, yeah. not wanting to really be here, battling now suicidal ideations, constant sort of um, just bringing myself down all the time. So, it was Forgive me for interjecting at this Ooh. point. So um, is, is there a family history of, of suicidal thoughts? I mean, why, why is that? Have you looked into that since? Uh, not particularly. I don't think I've really looked at too much. I mean, I think there's maybe there's certain elements of slight, maybe um, ill mental health, but not as sort of long a long period like this. I don't yeah, think. Yeah. And again, sometimes they always look at those particular trauma points. I mean, for myself personally now, understanding it and, and living with it, I think there's sometimes there's different moments this can this can come about. I mean, it sure. could be quite situational. It could be behavioural, right. or it could be more what I consider myself more sort of chemical basis, which right. really there was no particular trigger. Got you. Got you. So. Um... You drop out of university, um, and what happens next? What's the, what's the next step? Yeah, so the university at the time, and again, academically, I was doing okay. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't really turning up too often, but I, 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 it was all online for me, so I felt as if I could catch it with my own time and would yeah. hand in my fits on, on time. And again, it was one of those characters, I guess, that you know was, was quite annoying. I guess I could sort of turn up and just send a paper in I'd done the night before, and it would be, it'd be a passable grade sort of yeah. thing. So I did the bare minimum. I was coasting through yeah. this, really. In the meanwhile, my focus was very much going out and getting myself this this quota, as I dubbed it, which was hitting my mark of shutting off my head each yeah, day. Yeah. So again, I was working at this time, so I was highly functioning, I suppose, at the time. Didn't really see it as a problem then at all. But once leaving university, went full-time into the trade, and right. then things really began to sort of, I guess, escalate at that point. Got so um, it, it was just something that became really my sole focus I yeah. think, in life. It was something that was was my my aim each day. The minute I got up, it was okay. I was in that environment too, kid in a sweet shop sort of vibes. I guess maybe drinking the own supply. I was working my way up the trade as well. I was into sort right. of management at this point. Okay, and ended up sort of living in the pub as well. So I was kind of always in that environment yeah. in there. Either working behind the bar or the other side. There's, there's kind of an expectation, isn't there? I mean, you know, when when you work in the trade, and it's a long time since I've been in a pub, but um, your customers expect it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of of the sort of your one side of the bar. And they want to get you. They, you know, that social aspect. You're living and breathing the environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there is that sort of expectation that if you're there, you yeah. you're a drinker, and, yeah. and I suppose yeah. it's difficult to break out from that. For sure, I mean, I, product research, I called it at the time, I think. It was kind of, even when I went elsewhere, I was just sort of competition analysis, it was. Right. And, uh, <laughs> headed around. But again, I, I love that point at the time, and I didn't see yeah. that as an issue. And again, I do talk about this, obviously, it's quite a negative part of my life, but there were some great times as well, of course. But of course, yeah. I think it was the ultimate reason of why I was doing perhaps what I was. I mean, if this was maybe, I'm not anti-alcohol in my sort of ways now, but I think for me, if this was one day a week, for example, a couple of beers after a shift enjoying the social, be absolutely fine, very acceptable. But for me at this point now, this was getting to the point that I was getting to such a state each night where I was literally blacking out to the point where my head would shut off. So I'd stop those thoughts. Okay. Again, that medicinal tool I mentioned at the start was very much a poison now. Yeah. And I was waking up the next morning to try and alleviate that you know, really bad head, getting up sort of still drunk really, and starting again instantly. So I was brushing my teeth with cans in the morning sort of thing. As I opened up, I had a coffee cup behind the bar that I'd be drinking on the way. So 
almost hiding it, but not seeing it as a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see an issue. It was just me really getting to that point. And it was always kind of, my tolerance, of course, was very high at this point. Yeah. But achieving that point where I actually hit that window of actually alleviating my problems yeah. was now further to reach and often sometimes unreachable in a day. Right. So I'd constantly sort of chase to get to that point. And you were just getting to ground zero by midday, really. You were kind of just leveling out. So it never really looked from the outside like there was much of a problem. I was a heavy drinker, but I was a big lad. I was in that environment. It was just kind of quite normal for... I suppose externally people just see you coping with it. And, yeah. you know, you, you, you do the same thing every day. So they probably don't see the problems that were clearly there. Yeah. And it goes unrecognized for, for quite a while. For sure. And again, different city. I didn't really have any sort of friend groups there that had from sort of back home. The family weren't around. And I suppose those people are maybe in the pub environment too. There'll be some that are there every day that are perhaps maybe on a slightly similar path to yep. a degree that maybe won't see a difference either. Yeah. Or those that only come in one day a week so don't see the severity of what's going on. So it was something that, again, I didn't really see as a problem at the time. I, I saw myself as a heavy drinker. I was proud of the fact that I was. But behind the scenes, I guess, I was using it in a different way. So what was the wake-up call? What was the slap on the face? So it took a while to get to that point, really. I mean, I had I had a brief blip at sort of 21, which, um, well, I say blip, I mean, it was kind of a the first sort of revealing of what I was going through, I guess. Yeah. I had one particular night, a lot of friends had come from my birthday to, to York and we'd gone out on the town. And one by one, these friends began to go home. And, and it really kind of dawned on me really how alone I was in this city. The fact right. that I was just, my best friends were maybe bar owners and takeaway owners, you know, really, yeah. really should have seen the light then maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> and one particular night I was stumbling home again. I don't recall too much of the conversation, but it just hit me how alone I really was in this city, what I was doing the same every day for, yeah. for no real purpose. I was yeah. kind of just existing. That's all it was. It was just yeah. getting through each day, not for me, but really for those around me, I guess, yeah. family and friends back home. Because at this point, I, you know, I was battling very much with suicidal contemplation a lot, had done sort of in my childhood, and ultimately I got to the decision where I felt that this was no longer working for me. Yeah. Um, I made a call home in the early hours to my mum, completely you know, inebriated and uh, she eventually picked the phone up and I had, I had one intention. It was just to say goodbye. Right. And again, I don't recall too much of what was said at the time, but I suppose it was a little bit of a um, a cry for help, I guess, initially. I don't yeah. think I just probably wanted to go through what I was doing. Yeah. But what I was using, again, to try and help me was not sustaining yeah. where I was going. Um, but there was also annoyance, I guess, the fact that I allowed that little gap, that vulnerability, had yeah. slipped almost in a way, my own sort of hard exterior. You mentioned about purpose because that's the, the, the theme of of uh, of the podcast is you know what is people's purpose it sounds to me mm. like you know for a big chunk of of your teenage years and and, and early 20s you didn't have a purpose at all it was mm. just you know getting through the day and so coming back to, to colin's point that that sort of light bulb moment you've been very you've chosen also to be very open mm-hmm. about the challenges which i suppose a lot of people might battle through them but not be so open about it mm-hmm. has that become the sort of purpose now you know the, the spreading the word spreading your story and and making people a little bit more aware of of these sort of challenges i think i think you hit the nail on the head there what you said i think for me it was something that yeah i didn't really know what direction i was going on yeah. and you were trying to get pushed on these avenues maybe yeah. by society in terms of this is your next steps into university and what's your job going to be for the next 40 years and then you retire. I didn't really ever feel like I conformed to that sort of thing or not know where I wanted to go. And I was very lost, I guess, myself in terms of who I was. Um, Had maybe the personal traits that I felt were were strong of value. And I guess that was where I got to a point where this was really a big changing point. The fact that that alcohol that was never an issue for me really had really pierced me so much that it really watered down my my values that I held close to myself. I mean, ultimately at the time it was at the end of a relationship that really caused me to wake up from this yeah. and acting unfaithfully to this partner was, was, was the, 
was the final straw, I guess. It was yeah. rightly so the end of that relationship. But for me, it was almost a, a realization of, of how much I'd changed as an individual. This was never me wanting to be a burden on others, never wanting to hurt somebody else. It was me yeah. just trying to exist yeah. my own way, okay. getting through my own head. And I now hurt someone that I love dearly yeah. by, by acting out of character. It was an argument that sort of gone out on what we used to do with the alcohol, had merged into that relationship more. Yeah. There were two relationships, really. They sort of leached in as we sort of obviously got closer, the relationship got more serious. And ultimately, I'd gone out, yeah, and acted out of character. I mean, loyalty was a trait I held very, very high on myself. And yeah. at that sort of realization, I think the fact that I was compromised almost, and it just wasn't me, it really sort of caused quite a, a sudden sort of sharp wake up from this moment. And it was real real breakdown moment, I guess, a real completely cataclysmic. Yeah. Like the floor fell from beneath you. It was my foundations had crumble. Yeah. And overnight, I'd literally gone from this, you know, existing each day, just doing my routine, functioning, highly functioning, to now, obviously, my, my relationship was over. I, I felt to the terms I couldn't be in this city any longer because of the, the, the familiarities I had in there. Yeah. I couldn't stay in that environment I was in in terms of the work side of things, yeah. what I was. And I've been in this city seven years. I decided to leave sort of overnight. So it was something that I was trying to get myself sober. I was trying to prove to myself that I wasn't that person I'd become. Yep. And felt that from that moment on, I came to terms with the fact that I was an alcoholic. Yeah. And held my hands up, as you say. And that, that was really the start of the openness. I mean, it's my ultimate vulnerability, I guess there was two ways to go. It was either that ultimate shifting off this mortal coil. Yeah. Or literally going, look this is where I am. I need help here. Yeah, yeah. I am completely vulnerable and really accountable for my actions as well. Yeah, yeah. So at the time, my personal Facebook, I just put out there why I'd left the city, the reasons behind it, what I've been suffering from for maybe 13 onwards and what I was trying to do in the next steps, which was trying to get sober, trying to get clean. And okay. in doing so, I returned to Cumbria to try and make that change. But when you, as you say, when you sort of went public first with that, did that come with some sort of sense of, liberation as well you know oh, it's out there now that you know the, the genie's out the bottle and, and did that did that come with its own sort of pressures to now deliver on the fact you know you've gone public you've told everyone did that come with some some pressure that you, you've got to make good now at the time i don't think i saw it that way right i think looking back sort of retrospectively perhaps at the time it was very much i was just just broken as an individual yeah. i was kind of just completely shattered and i suppose i felt like i owed an explanation Maybe to those I'd left behind, I felt like I'd let people down, not on my girlfriend at the time, but my employers, friends I'd made in the city, you know, people I'd come back to all the students, like, why is he back in Cumbria? Like, I didn't like those questions, maybe that hearsay to be around that gossip to begin. So I just put it out there and go, this is what's going on. And, yeah. But initially, it was mainly, mainly for myself, I guess, at that point. I didn't see it as, as anything other than that. And um, again, I suppose facing the music and certain things you've got to do, I mean, make mistakes in life and certain bits. I think you've got to be, yeah, this, this is what I've done. So... I wasn't going to hide away from that. But it was only later on, I think, through this journey, of course, I went through quite a major transformation across that next sort of year to a point and set up an Instagram page in the end of what I was doing, which was all anonymous as well, just the adventures I was going on there in the Lake Districts and maybe the activities I was doing behind the scenes in a new lifestyle. And I shared it again on there, perhaps. I was, I was two years sober at this point, so it was 2016, that turnaround. 2018 was now this moment. And like the start, again, warts and all, I put out there what I'd done and what I'd been through and the change I'd done. I mean, at this point, of course, I'd, I'd, I'd lost that sort of weight. I was two years sober from that moment. I'd stopped smoking. I was now out in the hills most days, hiking various bits up. I'd, I'd ran a marathon at this point. It was a completely different switch in my life and from this very lethargic, overweight, just inebriated character. So that, obviously, the, the physical changes that must have come along with that, you know, you've stopped drinking, you've stopped boozing, you're more active, your mm -hmm. body's going to thank you for that. 
what's what's the li- how, how how do you sort of see the link between your the improvement on your physical side of things how did that affect your mental health oh hugely hugely so i think it's again i always use the metaphor in terms of you know putting bad fuel into a car and expect it to go 100 miles for example yeah. like you can't push yourself on with these negative vices and expect good results in a certain way so for me it was something that i really stripped back from from day one so again i vowed to sort of leave alcohol behind from that moment now medically not advisable with those consumption levels i was having um did seek help from all angles so i did go and see sort of uh, my family doctor i was putting sort of some counseling various bits group therapy sessions sort of aa if you'd like obviously family and friends were very aware of what was going on and i throw myself into fitness as well as looking again at diet, which I'd always had this passion for cooking from a young age, going back to prepping things from scratch, as opposed to maybe falling in the takeaway sort yeah. of at three, four in the morning on the way home. So those are all key elements, I think, in terms of switching vices, perhaps some more positive elements to try and make this improvement going forward. And again, activity outdoors was, was one of those that really, really um, was integral towards that change. And I think in te- with others as well, I mean, I had a lot of people gather around, I guess, to come with me and almost pick me up and support as well. There was, there was a huge support network in this that I do feel lucky to have had because not everyone has that sort of thing, really. And again, I was at a point that I may have lost that if I continued on the lines I was going to. Yeah. There was there was ultimatum moments. There was times where perhaps people you know, didn't agree with the, the nature of the path I was going down, which was, looking back now, very understandable. Yeah. But sharing in its entirety there, I think, on its, on this new platform now, that really then felt as if this was out there now. This was a sense of purpose. This can be yeah. used for good as a purpose. Yeah. Because once again, the response I got back, the support from people, the similar stories of how people had found maybe the outdoors or fitness to alleviate addictions or poor mental health or, or bereavement was hugely sort of empowering and humbling. And that was a key moment, I think, for me in terms of working out the fact that I could be a voice in this, in this, in this sort of movement, in this sort of stigma. I could utilize what I'd been through just supposed to try and help other people know they're not alone because again when i mentioned at the start being that sort of kid in the assembly room looking through thinking you're completely alone with your own head just chipping blocks off you off you, off you yeah. if yourself yeah, yeah. to now this moment of going you know i can voice this i can articulate what i've been through yeah, yeah. that somebody else can't and i'm not saying that everyone should go public i don't know anything no. yeah that was my choice to do so and be accountable and, and your support that was, was mum and pals Sure. Yeah, as opposed to a crisis phone call or, or what have you. Yeah, 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 and that's that's what helped you. I think, yeah, you're, yeah, very lucky to have that. Yeah, yeah. So if we if we fast forward to now, mm-hmm. so we've got the fell foodie. Yeah, we've got the living, breathing fell foodie with us. Yeah, um, and we you know are aware of some of the stuff that you've done, and it's it seems to be a you know to to use the sort of fell walking climbing analogy you're you're doing this at the moment are you literally you know the 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 sort of hockey stick of your life (laughs) career whatever it is and you're part way up it with it with a fairly long way to go by the looks of things but you know shows on the tv with mary berry um you're appearing in uh, festivals up and down the country you're doing mental health um support there's an awful lot going on there but the two the two things that connect all together are, are the food and the fells Hence, mm. hence your personal brand. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what, what's, what's on the table today? What, what's going on right now and, and potentially where, where you're going next? That, that would be great. Well, yeah, I think it's one of those that's been a very unexpected journey, obviously, as, as you've heard with the previous sort of steps. Again, I've never really intended to get to this point. I've certainly never intended on this to become what is now my, my career at the moment, sort of trying to make this work as, as a full-time entity. But ultimately, it's just always stemmed from being quite honest and open, I guess, having these discussions. And it's allowed me to go into some angles where I've had the chance to speak on some big platforms like sort of national media, television, magazines, even journalistic elements, 
and also perhaps into sort of schools, universities, corporate speaking, just essentially about just being very open and honest about my personal journey to try and really help others that are going through similar issues and provide maybe, I don't like to use the term you know, mot- motivational speaker because I don't think that's my place to say that really. It's kind of yeah. person in the audience if they're motivated by it. Yeah. But I suppose that's the sector you may be in. Um, but the opportunities that have come since, again, I'm very much just someone that's really trusting the journey at this point, just very yeah. much one day at a time as I am with my sobriety. Uh, I've recently celebrated sort of seven years sober from that from that moment, not gone back to those previous days at all. And, and really taking things in their stride. So I think it's, it's pushing towards this sort of personal brand, if you will, that's being created. But it was never really an intentional move, I guess, to get to this point. But you, you have sort of come to that point where you have found a, a purpose, you know, that uh, you're still on a journey, but there's now a much more positive uh, outcome and, and purpose that you're following. I think so. I think so for sure. I think that's certainly in terms of my, 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 my history and my background and, yeah. and speaking about that element. I think the cooking side of things is, is my passion. That's yeah. what's taken me forward. That's maybe the future side of things. The other bit's always maybe the past, the underlying, the bottom of the hill, if you would. The other bit's going forward. But they go hand in hand. The reasons why I've gone out there, why I've got into the hills is because of that time. It's recovery. Food played a key part, as did the fells. So merging those two passions made logical it's, sense to me. It's quite a bit of effort. You know, I, I watch, I've, I've watched a lot of the things that you've done. And, and in particular, you know, the, you hiking up a fell alongside Mary Berry with a rucksack on your back. And then you produce this restaurant quality piece of fish from a little tranger stove you think there's a fair amount of effort got, got into that <laughs> you know most people cheese and pickle sandwich in, in a bit of foil wrap and an upper fell is is most people's experience i would imagine so um and that's something that you're doing continually now that that's that's a, that's just one of your things premium quality food but at the top of a fell yeah, I've just I've never never been one to shirk on food. I've never been sort of really a fast food sort of a convenience sort of man. I think so. For me, while I got into the outdoors, it was never something I was going to cut back on and not want to enjoy good food. So again, there's an element of maybe of, of satire and a bit sort of the other elements of perhaps you know what's uh, <laughs> what's the point in this. But I quite like the challenge aspect of being up there and almost recreating, seeing what can be done. Yeah to try and maybe inspire people to look at food in a slightly different way. I don't expect people to go into the mountaintops and do the same as what I'm doing, but even if they go on a little camping adventure or they're making something at home first to pack out there, to enjoy something that's much more nourishing and out there and, and really enjoy I think it comes out to happiness, really. I think food really brings me a lot of happiness in life yeah. and bringing people together around food, sharing stories, sharing conversations around that proverbial dinner table, if you will, or the campfire, yeah. if we go to sort of primal days. That's the real connection point for me, and that's the sense, I guess, of and I suppose, meaning. Yeah, I suppose for, for you know, fell walkers and other sort of outdoorsy type people, when you're out on a big day like that, food is fuel, really, isn't it? It's to get you to the top and back down again, but you've taken it a little bit more than just fueling yourself. Hmm. You, you're, you're doing proper prepared dishes, which, <laughs> uh, you know, it's amazing. I think it's brilliant. Bless yeah. you. Thank you. It's, yeah. It, it's, yeah, again, I think sometimes there's... Food always seems to be the last thing we think of in these points of view. I think yes. so it's such a, such a key part of our elements. And there's people that perhaps you know don't don't appreciate it in the same ways as others. They might just literally use it just for fuel, and that's all it is. But wherever I am, I think when we go in somewhere nice, we're experiencing a new culture, whether it's out and about in a different country or seeing time with family and friends, it's all about that sort of what's what's there at the time, what's bringing them together, that dish on the table, and just the impact it has on people. I think as well in terms of just a, what a home cooked meal can do yeah. in terms of opening things up and again in terms of those stories and just a different connection with nature as well i see there is a quite a primal link in terms of we cooked outdoors initially yeah, of course you know over time it's become more refined we've got these ingredients now and recipes worldwide but it's taking those back out into their initial roots almost in this new new sort of combined element so 
I think the you know the effort side of it can sometimes put a lot of people off. I think certainly the weight of the backpack maybe as well. Yeah. But again, I don't expect them to go to the same sort of levels. But just thinking slightly differently about what we enjoy and why make it into a suffer fest. I think half the time. I mean, this obviously wouldn't work if you're doing a multi-day or a big expedition. I mean, those freeze-dry dehydrated meals have their place in those elements yeah. for sure. Perhaps you know maybe the the twenty piece sort of super noodles maybe doesn't so much, but the uh, <laughs> the ones that are actually designed for those bits, I understand where they where they play their part. But when you're just doing these little adventures, that a lot of us are. We're not a lot of us aren't going up and climbing Mont Blanc or Everest. We're just going for a little walk with the dogs, or we're going to the beach with the kids yeah. for the day. So if you can incorporate that in as well as a little sort of mini adventure, micro adventure, as as one adventure sort of dubs it, and I just think that's quite special and that's not great. not really making cutting these little bits out in life and the little sort of joy marks. Why? Why not make them into bigger things? I think it's yeah. sometimes we avoid the hassle for the convenience, and I don't know. There's something special in actually. Bravo! Yeah, yeah, yeah well, that's good. absolutely brilliant. Yeah, cool. So, what can we expect to see next? What's what's on the on the sort of horizon at the moment? Well, yeah, we, again, as with most things, it's kind of still sort of enjoying this journey as we're going, taking opportunities as they come. There's things I'm working towards. Um, personal, so some personal goals. I mean, a big one coming out later in the year is that I've got a debut cookbook coming out. Brilliant. Um, was recently signed to be published last year, so that's kind of a bit of a childhood dream come true to be putting this together now in an adventure-style cookbook, um, which will be fantastic. And again, looking back to maybe where I was seven years previous, you know, literally falling about in the street each night, it's really bizarre to really try and comprehend yeah. um, really the way I've come from. But the rest of it, I think, ultimately, I'm just kind of one day at a time like I do in most things again maintaining my sobriety bits trying to have sort of good purpose in life um seeing what comes seeing what yeah. comes in certain ways I think there's no particular big goals there'll be there'll be certain pipe dreams that may be there but otherwise it's working more I suppose with, with brands with more individuals having the chance to go and do some more grassroots projects again with schools I've got a fantastic one at the minute which I've been taking some inner city school kids out into the Lake Districts and kids that have never been to the countryside before, you know, not just the Lake District. Yeah. We're talking kids who've never even stepped foot in these environments. And one person looked at a, saw a cow in the field the other day and asked me if it was a horse, you know, and you just, you can't comprehend, you know, the privilege of yeah. what you've maybe grown up in. Mean, I'm lucky to have grown up in this area. Yeah, we did take it a little I bit. neglected it, yeah. but now I've come back and utilised it. And yeah. again, 30% of these kids hadn't even been on a train before sort of wow. thing. So being part of that as a project, maybe to use maybe, maybe the slightly enhanced profile to leverage a brand to be able to make this happen I think has a real sense of purpose as well. And again, Good. that comes into letting people discover the outdoors at an early age, which comes from an education point of view. Again, there's some frustration in the area at the moment with maybe the tourist seasons where we get more of the, the open fires, perhaps a bit more of the fly camping, perhaps a little bit more litter, which I think is ultimately still very much a minority. But I always think personally it comes down to an education. Some people haven't yes. been lucky to have grown up in these areas. Yeah. So yeah. we need to sort of teach from that route as well. So hopefully more projects like that as well. Brilliant. But otherwise, just just enjoying my time, Excellent. I guess. Well, we should look forward to seeing how your career and your new life develops. Um, so how do people hit you up? How do they find you? Do you want to share your contact details with us? We'll put them in the in the description. But what's the best way to, for people to find you? So social media, uh, Fell Foodie, all one word. You can find me on all sort of major platforms. Mainly Instagram is my largest one. Uh, with some on YouTube is there as well. But also more than happy to take any things on email that come in. I respond to everything I get. So... Again, whether it's personal sort of discussions or more business-based inquiries, it's uh, always nice to hear from people. Brilliant. Good. Thanks for joining us. Been an amazing guest. Um, really appreciate you sharing, you know, what's what's a you know, difficult personal personal story, but I think our guests will find it inspirational. If it gets a few people eating better food and out on the fells, then absolutely great. So thank you very much indeed. Thank you both. Yeah. Good. Thanks. So there you have it. That was The Liquid Show. That was Harrison Ward, the fell foodie. If you'd like to see more guests like Harrison, 
then do us a favour, subscribe, like and share to the show. And uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you very much. Thank you. Liquid Studios Production.